This is the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Avi Kravitz. This podcast is brought to you by De Beers Group Ignite, pioneering a new diamond world through groundbreaking innovation, science, and technology. Inspired by the world's unrelenting change, De Beers Ignite is driven to develop creative solutions for the diamond industry, not only for existing challenges, but also for those it may never have faced before, helping you to achieve growth with efficient and accurate technologies throughout the diamond pipeline. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Rapport Diamond podcast. I'm Avi Kravitz, and with us today in person and in our makeshift studio, we have none other than Ira Thomas. I'm the CEO of mining company Lucara Diamond Corporation. Um, Ira is considered somewhat of a pioneer in Canada's diamond mining industry from her involvement in the Kati mine initially and then through her tenure at Stornoway Diamond and now at Lucara, which brings her out of Canada and into Botswana. Um, some, somehow. So Ira is working, also working to, di- um, to disrupt the way rough diamonds are sold in the market through the Ara platform, which Lucara purchased in 2018. So there's a lot to talk about. Ira, welcome. It's great to have you in, um, have you on the podcast and to see you in person. Welcome. Thank you very much, Avi. It's a pleasure to be here, and it, it really is great to see people in person finally after so long. Absolutely. And um, I mean, your presence in, in our um, studio um, shows that uh, there's some normality returning to, to the world and to our, our business interactions. Um, you're traveling again. So I guess a bit of an odd question to begin with, but, um, but in the context of the last two years, it would be interesting to hear why um, what what is the purpose of your visit? Um, you're in Israel now. I understand that you're going to be traveling to other centers as well. Um, what brings you on your travels? Well, it's first of all, it's been four years since I've been in this uh, beautiful part of the world, so it's a, it's a pleasure to be back here. And I think, you know, in short, in summary, it's all about reconnecting. That's that's what a lot of my travels over the next several weeks will be about: seeing people in person. Uh, as you know, we're really ramping up on our, our plans for Clara. Uh, we're now sitting at more than 90 customers. A number of those customers reside here in Israel. Uh, so it was important to, to reach out and have the opportunity to, uh, to connect with those, those customers. And at the same time, our technology partner, Serene, uh, is situated here in Tel Aviv. So it was a, a great opportunity to, to meet with David Block and his team in person and just talk about our plans for uh, the business and the technology going forward. So it was uh, high on my list for, for stop number one. Um, great. Well, it's, um, you know, we, we, got, we kind of got used to the, the new normal in, in inverted commas of, um, of working from home and, and remotely. Um, I don't know how that affected the, the mining operations um, and side of, of the business, but um, I think it's just, I think people are sort of craving that, um, that personal interaction again. It's so true. I think a lot of people felt, you know, a year and a half into the pandemic that, you know what, we can manage the new normal. This is okay. It, it, it works. But I have to say, I just came from a big mining conference in Florida, which is one of the largest in the world and the first time they've held it in more than two years. And within one day, everyone just realized the power of personal 
um, interaction and and how much we've we've all really missed that. And so, yes, I think we get smarter about how we work, but I think we've also realized that we you know we we need to make personal interactions happen. Uh, I think in order to again connect the community, but to, to feel m- more linked as a as a, as an industry overall, whether it be in the mining side or the sales side or um, any other aspect of our business. So excited to be back interacting. I was always told when I first came into the in- industry, if in real estate the the three rules are location, location, location. In the diamond industry, it's connections, 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 and networking and um, we saw now there was uh, the big um, uh, diamond week in Dubai, and I wasn't there, but people were so excited to make those connections again. Yes, very positive energy, I hear. I wasn't there either, but yeah. certainly had part of the team there, and right. they were pretty excited. So, Ira, you've just come off a um, your earnings call and your own earnings results, which um, echoed what many of the mining companies are reporting that some um, 2021 was a banner year um, I think not only for the for the mining industry but for the the diamond industry as as a whole what do you attribute the, your strong results to and expanding that to the rest of the industry yeah listen for us um, you know it was a real rebound after a challenging 2020 um, obviously the the industry got hit hard by the pandemic but luckily for us, it was short-lived. And, you know, the fourth quarter of 2020, we saw recovery starting. And then 2021, really, it was, we were off and running. And I think what we've seen that's so important about the diamond market we're now enjoying is that the fundamentals have actually shifted. We've seen a structural change. We now can um, really understand that global supplies of, of natural rough diamonds are on the decline. By contrast, you know, demand is strong. I mean, that's largely being let out of the U.S., but we continue to be optimistic about where China is going to go. But I think we've all been anticipating this moment because we can see you know, that, you know, putting a diamond mine into production takes a long time and a long effort. And we know there's nothing coming over the horizon that can significantly impact that supply. But at the same time, um, when we look at the existing mining operations around the world, a number of these, you know, large world-class diamond mines are heading into their sunset years. And so they're, they're really, you know, a few years left on a lot of these operations. Argyle closed its doors last year. The Canadian operations are are largely heading into the last few years of production, and so the the supply is definitely um, uh, turning downward. Uh, by contrast, the demand is nice and healthy. So we see a you know a good balance in the industry now. I would say for so many years, um, the mining executives showed that sort of um, supply demand chart and. And it was always a question in my mind if that's really the case because we weren't seeing it in the market. Um, and I think I do agree with you that at the moment we are seeing, we, we, do, we are now at that pivotal point. And it seems that um, COVID, um, in addition to the Argyle mine closing, but COVID um, somehow rebalanced global production to a lower level. Um, and at the same time now we've seen, we're seeing that demand um, rise um, so strongly last year. And so, is that a sustainable lower level, or are we? You know, what is your outlook? Um, you know, for the next five, five to ten years, in terms of global production, is it 
going to maintain that level of carrots coming out of the ground? Yeah, I mean, the predictions are actually for for supply to to decline naturally. I mean, a lot of these mines um, are also hitting deeper, so there's a limit to how much production you can increase um, it, to to feed demand. So it it really does look, uh, you know, like we are going to see sustainable um, fundamentals here, I, I think, and, and good balance in the pipeline. I mean, we certainly take comfort that, you know, rough prices and, and polished prices are now tracking in tandem and those diamonds are getting consumed. And, uh, and that's what gives us most, you know, gives us a lot of comfort about kind of the outlook for diamond prices, not just in the short term, but in the, in the medium term. Uh, you know, for for a, a more sustainable kind of future, I think here going forward. Um, if we look at the the short term, and particularly, you know, since the beginning of twenty twenty two, the the dynamic seems to have changed in the market. Um, prices have, you know, we've seen on the polished side that you know prices have really gained momentum, and there is a feeling that balance that we felt um, at the end of twenty one. Um, hasn't necessarily continued. And there's maybe an, an element of speculation in the market and that the rough and the polished are um, are separating again. Yes, listen, I, I, I think all of us that have, uh, that have enjoyed you know, a stronger market in 21 are looking at the market today and say it, it's running a bit hot. Um, and having it pull back a little, uh, I think everyone would see as a, as a realistic um, uh, outcome um, of of the market running, you know, a little bit too hot. Nobody wants to th- see things get completely out of sync again. These boom and bust cycles that we've been through, uh, at the end of the day, don't benefit the industry longer term. So yeah, yeah, the market's running a little bit hot right now. Obviously, it's there's a lot of geopolitical uncertainty out there, which is I think influencing that and 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 concerns over uh, you know w- what's going to happen. Uh, with with diamond supply here from one of our largest one of our largest world producers, um, but but I think we are in a much stronger place where you know companies um, are stable. They have you know solid balance sheets. They've got you know room to maneuver, which was not the case when we went through into the last down cycle, where a lot of companies found themselves overlevered um, without sufficient liquidity to kind of weather the the volatility uh so I, I think we're in a much better place yes short term it's probably a little hotter than we'd like um but uh overall trending in the in the right direction in a, in a much more sustainable way than we've seen i would say in the better part of a decade um you you hinted to the impact of the of of russia's um invasion of, of ukraine and the sanctions uh, on el rosa and and that that might affect the the supply side um you know when we publish this uh, this this podcast you know please god it will, will would have all all been um taken care of um but as it stands um how do you see it affecting the the demand side of the market um and and beyond beyond the geopolitics bringing some uncertainty to the market um you know, there's talk of in, in you know inflation in the in, in the United States that's affecting sentiment and potential interest rate hikes. Um, so, what is your? Do you expect that momentum of of demand that we saw in 21 um, continuing through the rest of this year? 
Well, certainly in the short term, I would say absolutely. I think it's really too early to to understand exactly the impacts, um, obviously for El Rosa. And I hope in two weeks that we we reflect on this and think, well, that's a real, you know, we're 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 through that piece. But I think demand, particularly out of the U.S., is um, has really kind of moved into the next era as well. You look at large luxury brands like Louis Vuitton, they've been making big bets in diamond jewelry, and that's because they have observed that diamond jewelry is the one luxury product that really has lagged behind the consumption of other luxury products. So that really was the impetus behind, you know, LV buying Tiffany. And of course, since they bought Tiffany, Tiffany has been recording, you know, record quarters in, in terms of sales. So this is a company that understands luxury, uh, that understands global demand for luxury products, and and they are very, very confident in, in kind of, you know, trends for, for consumption on, on diamond jewelry going forward, which is why they've, they've, they've started to, you know, go after some of those opportunities. And so um, earlier you, you mentioned the, um, that historic, the, the supply demand or, or the, the polished rough charts have, have kind of been on their own, um, on their own tangents. Um, and um, and Lucara has been at the forefront of trying to change the way the rough market um, operates. And so when we look at that, um, that, that rough, sort of rough price chart and, and pin it against the polished, um, and that gap that, that has, um, developed at times that, uh, represents a, a squeezing of manufacturing profit margins, really. How, do, how do you see the, the changes in the way rough is being sold, not only through Clara, but also in terms of, um, of, other companies, uh, you know, we know that De Beers and El Rosa, for example, are trying to sell to more manufacturing, um, that they want to shorten the, 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 the process of mine to market, essentially. And so how, what effect will that have on the, on the midstream and that, uh, and that um, overall dynamic within the, within the supply chain? Mm, sure, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. I think for a very long time, the way we've sold diamonds has generally served the market well. But in recent years, you're right, we've seen increasing, uh, you know, squeezing in the midstream in particular, uh, but also challenges for the producers. And I think the idea that every participant in the supply chain, you know, really operates autonomously, making its margins off one of the other participants is an inherently the, the the challenge and has led to a lot of these boom and bust cycles. And so our first sort of, you know, foray into challenging that was with Clara. Um, and, and again, it was really about creating true alignment uh, and, and creating a more efficient marketplace where, where everyone really benefits. And then during the pandemic, you know, this, this sort of rationale was absolutely compounded. You know, people couldn't get on planes to go and buy diamonds traditionally. Um, so Clara, you know, became a solution for a lot of people that were really restricted from being able to purchase diamonds in traditional ways. That also then led to, um, you know, our agreement with HP. Lucara produces a very special product, a very unusual product. You know, most of our value is in large diamonds. 
And if you look back and track the price achieved for our, our, our large diamonds, you know, from 2015, it's pretty much a downward trajectory. And we realized that, you know, we want to be producing these very special diamonds to at least 2040. So we've got to think a little differently as to how we are going to actually extract kind of the maximum value. And what we really learned through this process is that if we work together with other participants in the supply chain instead of competitively, that there was an opportunity to de-risk the sales process for everybody and to really, at the end of the day, uh, you know, work together to achieve a, a better outcome that has you know, a benefit to, to everybody. And so that's been our strategy. It's been all around alignment. Um, and the end result of that is that, yes, we've got a, we've got a shorter timeline from the, from the day that we mine those diamonds at Kuroi until they're delivered uh, onto a retail uh, store shelf, whether it be through Clara or HB, um, because we are, uh, at the end of the day, m- making it more efficient. Um, I'd, I'd like to come back to the HB um partnership um but um but first with regards to clara um i mean you you had incredible growth um it was you know you you more than doubled your your sales if not tripled um in in 21 um that obviously um benefited from from the uh, pandemic but um what sort of um what are your plans for for clara and and how do you build on that that growth that you saw we're really excited about what where Clara can go and you're absolutely right during the pandemic um it became the perfect uh, kind of solution for for a lot of our midstream customers um who weren't able to travel around the world to purchase diamonds and so i think in getting you know building up basically um the demand we actually reached the point now where we're saturated in terms of the diamonds that we can provide from Karoi so a big part of our our strategy going forward in 2022 is now to build up third-party supply. The intention for Clara has never been to create a digital marketplace for Lucara alone. It's always been about opening this up to the broader industry and to other sellers. And I think a really important kind of eureka moment for us in 2021 was when we realized that you know a lot of our, our customers, our, our buyers on Clara, uh, we're also interested in becoming sellers and getting rid of unwanted inventory that they'd been building up for years of having to purchase diamonds in a very inefficient way. And so um, it was a lot of that volume increase that you saw in 2021 it was as a result of our buyers becoming sellers. And then when you have the experience on both sides, it, which is positive, there is this growing realization that that Clara is truly unlocking a lot of value within within the supply chain. So 2022 for us is all about continuing to ramp up um, on third party supply, and we we feel we've got a lot of positive momentum coming out of 2021. And the the other really terrific thing is that we've you know during the pandemic we we, we struggled with our other fellow producers because everybody was really just trying to stay afloat in, in, when the pandemic hit, and 2021 was all about recovery and repairing balance sheet in some cases restructuring, um, and all of that happened and now we're going into 2022 in a much stronger way. These companies are are healthy again. And, and they've re-engaged on Clara because they now realize and they understand that this is a unique opportunity 
um, and they want to be part of it. So we're, we're feeling very optimistic about our potential for, for getting more producers onto the platform this year as well. In the current market where the, the prices at auction, at tender are, are so strong, do you draw different conclusions from the market? Because um, you're selling also through, t- through your tenders and through Clara and, and through the HB, um, HB partnership. Are there, um, is there a benefit for a third party um, miner to sell um, through Clara rather than rather than at tender, just from a pure economic point of view? Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, and what, we, what we've always said and, and advocated to our sellers is, look, we're not suggesting that Clara is the only way to sell diamonds. We think it's a particularly good way to sell diamonds, and, and, and certainly the vast majority of the diamonds that producers, um, uh, you know, the type of production that, that most, most mines are, are producing today um, but it's very compatible with other sales channels. So you're right. Uh, today, you know, Lucara tenders approximately 10 to 15% of our goods. Um, Clara takes a, a further 15 to 20. And by the way, we would be doing more on Clara if we had more production in that 1 to 15 carat size range that qualified for sale on Clara. Because our production is unusual and most of the value is in big stones, um, you know, 60 to 70% of our revenues are actually coming from sales through HB. Uh, but for most mines, uh, most of their goods will qualify for sale on, on Clara, and that's the real benefit of this sales system. Uh, it is a digital marketplace that really represents the bread and butter goods, if you like. Um, so, so you've mentioned in the past that you're, you, you're, you have plans to spin off Clara. Um, what does that look like, and, and um, you know, how, how far in those plans um, are you to make it a reality? Yeah, listen, I, 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 I think, um, you know, it's not so much, you know, definitive plans to, to spin it off, but our view is that it's very hard to, to marry a technology company and a mining company and get value recognition in the public equity markets. People tend to in- invest in one or the other and not really understand the combination. So we've always felt that if we didn't get value for Clara within Lucara, that it would make sense to spin it off. Um, and so we still think that that is likely the outcome. And, I, and, and our kind of, I, I think, major milestone uh, would be about, you know, bringing on some third-party sellers um, in a committed way. And that would be the logical point to, to, um, to spin Clara out of, of, of Lucara. So we don't have an exact timeline on that. We just want to see how the business evolves. Uh, you know, there's been a, a, a lot of changing dynamics in the last few years. And the original plan that we set out with, we've, we've certainly had to, uh, to adjust. There's been benefits and there's been challenges. But uh, by and large, we feel really, really uh, positive about how well we've done with the platform in, in, in basically three years. And... Um, and super excited about where it's going to go in the next iteration. So at the right time, we, we would definitely consider doing that. Uh, but it'll, it'll be all around kind of the value. Um, and we also recognize that, you know, having it run independently is, is easier in terms of, um, I think, onboarding other, other producers. So, so does a spinoff um, mean a, uh, an, an IPO? 
of Clara or, or selling it to a, to a third party um, acquirer? You know, we're, we're open-minded. I mean, we have not considered selling it at this stage. Um, we're excited to remain owners of Clara. We think it has a long way to go. Um, and, and we think this business ultimately will be as important to Lucara as our existing mining operations. Um, you know, that's the, the value potential that exists there. So we're, we're still in the early innings on, on Clara. So we're not interested in selling it, but we um, we would consider doing an IPO to unlock value again and and have it have it you know create some some independence from Lucara. And then you've also publicly stated that you're in the markets to acquire an asset of of some sort um, and looking at other mining opportunities, particularly in Botswana. Are there um, opportunities in in that space um, to acquire a, a value? mine um you know whether it's in Botswana or elsewhere uh, listen it, it, it's a small universe there's you know fewer than 25 operating diamond mines around the world absolutely Lucara would like to grow and we'd love to have another mining asset um, but we have one of the highest margin diamond assets in the world so it's very important that any acquisition is accretive uh, for our shareholders so we we continue to look and we continue to be hopeful I personally feel that the diamond industry would benefit from an investable mid-tier diamond company. It doesn't exist today. That used to be, you know, Dominion when it was when it was public, and I think that that will create more momentum. And I I, I think um, a larger mid-tier diamond producer would have the ability to attract more investment into the space and to create a higher profile. Right now, we've got a very, you know, bipolar industry. We've got the two very large producers on one side, and then a and a and a, and a handful of of smaller producers on the other. So I do think consolidation uh, makes sense, and Lucara would would love to to lead that. We think we're in a great position to to lead that, but we will be extremely disciplined in how we go about it. And it's important that um, that we create a business that's that's actually stronger, not just bigger. So, um, you know, stay tuned on that one. Does geographical location make a difference in this? Um, you know, does it, does it make sense to, because Karoi is in Botswana, to look in Southern Africa or, um, you know, would it, um, or does it not matter if, if you're looking in Canada as well? Because it seems that there might be opportunities in, in the Canadian space. We are completely open-minded on geography. Um, we love Botswana. We obviously love Canada. Um, well, maybe not obviously, but we are a Canadian company, so we, we, we really like Canada as well, and I would say those would be priority jurisdictions for us. But, but you know, because these assets um, are few and they're extremely rare, uh, you know, we, we must look everywhere. So we, we continue to have an open mind on that. You know, Lucara is part of the lending group of, of uh, mining companies. And one of the benefits of being a lending uh, company is that, uh, you know, this is a, a group of companies that have deep experience operating in challenging jurisdictions all around the world. So, um, you know, geography is, 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 is not something that will preclude us from having a look. But, but again, it, it, you know, it has to be creative. It has to make sense. It it has to allow us to to you know grow our company. So being being a lending um, group company, 
um, with deep experience working in, you know, many jurisdictions around the globe is, is definitely uh, helpful for Lucara. So we, we would not shy away from looking in any jurisdiction, but at the end of the day, it's about finding, again, the right asset that can be accretive, um, that will, you know, at, at the, end of the end of the day, allow us to, to grow our business in a, in a sensible, logical way. And we always saw the Canadian space as, as potential for those for those um, mergers merger opportunities. Just um, to go back to the to the selling mechanisms and your partnership with HB Antwerp is uh, is an interesting one, um, and it seems to be a bit of a trend that's going on in the big sp- in the large stone space. We're seeing these agreements um, across various um, mining companies and. Um, and manufacturers that specialize in the in the larger goods. Um, what what do you gain from from the HB? Again, I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm looking at at financials and just economically. Is there a, is it not is it not more lucrative to sell those big stones at tender? No. In short, you know we've been we've been basically um, selling those diamonds now. With HB, you know, we started in in the middle of the pandemic, uh, and we've continued through 2021. So we've had about 18 months uh, of data that we can track and compare, and we feel we're we are definitely doing better. And again, that the real opportunity here for for Lucara is that you know we never really knew what happened to our diamonds once we we dug them out of the ground, we cleaned them, and we sold them. So again, you know, with HB, not only do we have insight now as to as to what becomes of our diamonds and the polish that we're selling, is so it's fully transparent. Um, you know, they are basically re- remunerated on the basis of the achieved polish, a set fee less and the cost of polishing. So we're completely aligned. You know, if they can maximize the value of each and every rough diamond, they're maximizing their uh, their fee as well. So it is, um, I think, something that certainly gives our board a lot of comfort. Uh, you know, tenders, uh, which, which, you know, listen, we were one of the first companies to start tendering years ago as well, um, which was a departure from the norm at that time and, and really gave governments as well as public company boards comfort because, you know, essentially it's an auction system and the highest, highest bid is winning and it's a true marketplace. So you can take comfort from that. We feel similarly with, with HB in the sense that, you know, we see what that diamond actually sells for. And, and that is the basis for how everyone is remunerated in the value chain. So again, it's, it's really about a balance. And um, yes, it allows us to increase our margin capture downstream, but it also allows us to take real control of our product because it is a very specialized product. It's an unusual product. These very large, high-value diamonds, you know, we can be much more strategic in what we're polishing and what markets we're selling into. HB is, is very, um, works very hard to develop relationships with all the leading luxury brands. So we're actually you know, polishing product uh, that actually has, ex- that's feeding existing demand. And, and that's really important as well. And so as we saw, you know, the deep discounts at the height of the pandemic, where, where large diamond prices were down as much as 50%, we had the financial flexibility not to sell into that. And instead, we put those diamonds into manufacturing. And what you're seeing in, in our 2021 results 
is you know those diamonds now coming coming into play and at the end of the day you know the diamonds that uh, ultimately were put into manufacturing in 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 2020 and into 21 really reflect in our 2021 year-end results where we have revenues up 84% year over year. So it was for us, it was not just about getting more for the diamonds. Avi, I think what's important to understand, it was about stabilizing prices for, for, for large diamonds too. You know, we wanted to protect prices for large high-value diamonds and the HB agreement allows us to do that. One of the points um, that has come up in um, in the market for for large stones and in the in the midstream markets is that these deals takes a lot of goods um off the market for the rest of uh, the rest of the the dealers who are who are specializing in these goods so is that a factor does it create a, a sort of shortage on the dealer market to a certain degree but you know at the same time a lot of the feedback that i was getting going into the pandemic was that these you know that we're producing too many of these large high value diamonds and the inventories were building up so i think anyone that has has inventories of large diamonds should be very happy with what we're doing today because at the end of the day uh their inventory is worth more so you know, it's it, again really about creating alignment and unlocking value and trying to reach a broader marketplace. We we want to work with companies like Louis Vuitton because they are the largest leading luxury brand in the world and they have a huge client base. So being able to feed that in a very you know direct way, a, a very specific way, I think is is what we saw as as the opportunity. And um, y- you know. Yes, is it going to mean that there's a shortage of of large goods? Probably, but there always was. These are incredibly rare occurrences, um, and and I think it's important that we start selling them as a luxury product and not as a, a mined commodity that comes out of the ground. And that was my big learning through the last, particularly the last twenty four months in the, in the pandemic. Is you know this isn't selling copper or gold where you can look up the price in a newspaper every day. It does require you to be very considered um, about how you sell. And, and just like with Clara, you know, HB and Clara are, are at the end of the day, doing exactly the same thing for, for, for different product segments within the pipeline. So for, for those who are not aware, um, Louis Vuitton is the third partner in the Lucara HB alliance. Um, and so it, really, it's quite interesting, I think, to see that journey of the diamond and these special stones. I wonder, um, before we wrap up, if you can give us an update on the Suelo and the Setunia diamonds, which are, are um, those, uh, the Suelos, the uh, you know, it's an over 1,000 carat um, stone that, uh, that Louis Vuitton is, is uh, marketing now. And the Setunia is uh, around 520 carats, was it? Yeah, it's 549. So yes, the Suelo, uh, largest diamond to be mined uh, in Botswana, second largest in the world. It's a very unique diamond. It's, it's got a, a coating of black diamonds. We call it our sort of mystery diamond. And Louis Vuitton actually launched its high jewelry line with that collaboration. Um, so, you know, Suelo made its debut in, at, the, at the start of Paris Fashion Week in 2020, just before the pandemic hit. And the intention for Suelo was to really become an ambassador for the natural diamond mining industry. So LV took that diamond on a roadshow 
we then got locked down, so the roadshow got delayed, but it resumed in 2021, and Louis Vuitton really took that all over the world. Uh, it's now come back to Antwerp, and we uh, had uh, we're now going into the next phase for Suella, which is which is to actually polish it. So we're in the planning phases, and it's all quite exciting. We're going to open it up and see what's inside. I think everyone's quite curious to to see what will become of that. We're super excited and and it actually it's another good point avi because you know one of the things the real values of the hb partnership has been that for a lot of our more complex stones our very large high value diamonds when we're actually able to open them up and manufacture them diamonds that you know we we know we would have sold at tender for x are sometimes achieving 4x in in final polished because you know you're you're obviously Buying uh, uh, when you're buying when you're selling them at tender, they they are a mystery, and and you, as a result, you know there's a discount for the mystery. Um, as you go into manufacturing, there are there can be some very pleasant surprises. Not always; it can go the other way too. But but there is tremendous amount of value that can be locked up in these big stones. So for LV, this has all been about the storytelling of of having um an opportunity to work with the largest stone to ever come out of Botswana and of course LV is the masters of storytelling so we're excited about opening that up and and it's really going to be the artisans and the designers that will determine um what to create out of that collection and so it will be an exclusive collection and the the thing the other thing that that we're very pleased about is that LV is committed 5% of all the retail proceeds from that collection um, back to our communities of interest in Botswana. So, so watch the space um, situation. And then the Setunia is a, a higher quality stone. The Setunia is quite possibly, I mean, it's, it's certainly in, in the top five in, uh, diamonds that we've ever produced in terms of quality and, and purity. It's an exceptional stone, um, truly, truly special. So we have been working with HB and LV on that as well. And, you know, back to the comment that I made earlier about uh, the stabilization of, of large diamond prices. So, uh, you know, a, a big part of our rationale for, for committing our diamonds into a manufacturing partnership was really about protecting prices for large stones. And I think we successfully did that in 2021. Those, those prices definitely stabilized. What we started to see at the end of 2021 is those prices now starting to move up again um, in you know, tandem with all of the incredible price increases we've seen for other sizes and, and colors and qualities. Um, so we had such a strong year in terms of revenues. We were not in a rush and we didn't want to hurry it out the door. Um, it's, it's a very special stone. So we work together with our partners to make sure that we have the right opportunity for Setunia. So stay tuned on, on that one. So there's a lot, uh, there's a lot going on and it's, uh, it's exciting times. It's uh, amid all the uncertainty that we spoke about. There is also a lot to look forward to in 2022. Um, um, Ira, thanks so much for spending time with us today and, um, and updating us on the different projects that uh, that Lucara has um, has going on and is there anything um, that you'd like to add before we we close up for for today is there any message you want to send out to the to the diamond trade well yeah, 
You know, I, I do want to say one thing. I think, uh, you know, what we maybe didn't talk about today very much was was kind of the, the people uh, in Botswana. And, you know, COVID was a very challenging time for, for our workforce. We didn't get vaccines until the latter part of 2021. Thankfully, now, you know, everybody's vaccinated and we're, we're feeling much more optimistic uh, about you know, how we go forward in, in dealing with uh, the, the pandemic. So I just want to really say that we certainly appreciate uh, the support of the entire industry um, through a very challenging time and all these different jurisdictions where we're operating. I think it's remarkable the, the, the effort that was made wherever you are in the world as a community for, for everyone really to support each other through this, through this period. And, and um, that was really heartening to see. And as a testament, I think, to the great industry that we are. Yeah, I mean, we, we were talking before the recording about um, how the, the industry is slowly starting to, um, to meet in person again as we are today, and that it's really a people industry, and that extends across the, across the pipeline. And there's so many people that um, sometimes we don't see, on, well, we don't see on, on a daily basis that are affected in a, in a much um, more dramatic way, I think. And so it's a it's uh, it's nice to hear that um, that they are also benefiting, and and it's good to remember that the industry has that impact across um, across communities around the world. Um, but thanks again, Ira, for for joining us, and it's been a pleasure to see you and um, hear your insights. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, and and my pleasure uh, in, indeed. Well, safe travels, and thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Ignite, a full-service innovation science and technology division within the De Beers Group, spearheading step change throughout the diamond industry. 